Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Adam Ferrier is one of Australia's serial underachievers. He's only got degrees in commerce and clinical psychology. He's worked in prisons. He's moved into advertising. He was a strategic planner with such and such. He's invented a psychological board game called The Analyst, which is still selling well in Benelux countries. He's founded Creative Agency Thinkerbell, which in 2019 was Adam's Creative Agency of the Year. He's one of the co-founders of Space. He's a regular panelist on all the TV shows that we like to watch. And that's not married at first sight, Adriano. He's been <laughs> recognised as one of the top thinkers in our country. I'm so excited we get to talk with Adam Ferrier about Future Ready and Future Fit. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you tell us a little bit about our Series 10 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. Over the past decade, the team from A School for Tomorrow has been working with hundreds of thousands of members of school communities across the world to think about the character of an excellent education. They've concentrated their learning about what makes a school thrive into a unique suite of digital survey tools called Thriving for students, teachers, and schools. To learn how you can help your school measure how well it's achieving its purpose, go to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash thriving. Let's go. I'm really excited about today's chat, Phil, and it's wonderful to be with you as well. And finally, finally, we get another creative on this bloody show, Phil, to drown out the historians who keep telling us how good yesterday was when we really need to be focusing on how good tomorrow is going to be. Anyway, Phil, how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Adriano, I have exciting news for you. Yes, Phil. Remember, we've been talking about the uh, Johnson Street Contemporary Italian Food Festival. Right, yes. They've decided decided not only to honour you as their patron and Uh to appoint you as their chairman, they've named a pizza after you, Adriano. It's called the Adriano. Is that right? And what's on it, Phil? Pineapple. Yeah, you're a dickhead. Okay, (laughs) enough of this absolute nonsense. There'll be no pineapple (laughs) on any pizza named after Adriano. We're going to get straight to our wonderful guests, and and I'm really excited to to have this opportunity to chat with Adam Ferrier. Adam, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our Game Changers guests at the very top of the show. Tell us a little bit about your story, and how did you get to where you are today? Well, thank you for having me on. What a uh, lovely and uh, slightly surreal um... (laughs) introduction. So I um, went to school. I was really bad at school, very naughty. I had to go see a tutor. And in order to motivate myself, he said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, oh, I'm really interested in money and I'm really interested in people. And that person said I should become a consumer psychologist. And I thought, bingo. Oh my God, they've nailed it. It sounded right. I got degrees in both Started, just got sidetracked, went into the prison system for a while as a psychologist, then did my thesis on identifying the underlying constructs of cool people. Um, And I did that to swing me back into consumer psychology, then got a job 
being a cool hunter, which is a bit embarrassing um, as I'm now old and fat. But uh, but anyway, and uh, and then went to Saatchi and Saatchi and then started an agency called Naked and, and now has, has started another agency, Think About. So that's kind of my work uh, chronology, if you like. Tell us a little bit about the thinking process between all those different opportunities that you've uh, crafted for yourself. I'm really into people. I'm really into... And I always have been into why people do things. And I used to always ask why at school and, and at uni and people used to take the shit out, you know, take the piss out of me for saying why, 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 you know, and all that kind of stuff all the time. And I've really been fascinated by it. Um, and at the same token, I, you know, the old book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I, my, my dad wasn't <laughs> middle class, but I had a rich uncle and they were really into consumerism and brands and toys and things like that. And I always kind of like deconstructing popular culture. I like the idea of money. And, and so I've just blurred those two things together. So when you were working in the prison system, what did you like about people? I didn't say I liked people. I said I was, I said I was <laughs> interested in people. Big yeah. difference, eh? And so, and as a psychologist, that sets you up well, because I was always fascinated in the antecedents of what led up to the 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 end behaviour. And I actually specialised working with sex offenders, mm -hmm. and their behaviour is so extreme, and their ability to justify their own behaviour is so extreme that it really hammered home to me that nobody is born trying to harm anyone else. Everyone's just trying to get by on the skills they've got. And we're just really good at, at, at post-rationalising our own narrative to make sense of our behaviours. And so whether it's buying a Mars bar or whether it's doing a crime, there's a whole lot of things that go up that lead up to that point. And, and that's what I like kind of, A, understanding, but B, I really get a kick out of influencing that as well. When you've navigated your way through all these kind of different lived experiences that you've had, what has motivated you to pivot to a new space? Uh, this is going to sound very superficial, but lifestyle. <laughs> so when I was in the prison system, I loved it. and I, But I could, all my mates were getting higher paid jobs and living kind of more fun lifestyles. And I want, and I'm, because I'm less interested in human behaviour, I could apply it to a more dynamic setting. Um, and that's why I got into kind of cool hunting and you thought I could do it and travel the world and, and see a bit of a world um, and, you know, jump cut out of the, um, out of maximum security prisons into something more uh, superficial and glib, but, but still kind of, you know, there's depth in if you look hard enough. You're, you're current founder of Thinkabell, a hugely successful and globally recognised PR creative agency. Can you share with our listeners, what is the practice of marketing science and hardcore creativity, as you guys describe it, uh, to realise what you also describe as this kind of measured magic? Yeah, so it, some, of your, some of your listeners might have a misconception that, that marketing is just advertising or, or communications. And we think the strongest brands are, are brands that are built with a central organising thought and then everything, uh, every product experience, the whole thing, the UX it, uh, and the ads and all, the whole thing communicates that one central idea. 
So we practice that with our brand. Our, our, our brand is Marketing Sciences Meets Hardcore Creativity, or as we say, Measured Magic. And then we've got Rodansa Thinker with Tinkerbell's Wings on as our logo. But our staff are divided into thinkers or tinkers. So you're either a strategy thinking type or you're a creative kind of playing with knobs and bells type of person. Put those two people together. We start every week with Measured Monday. Uh, we end every week with Magic Hour on a Friday. And so the whole brand is guided by Measured Magic. And then it makes it really clear for our um, clients to know what we're about makes us really distinctive, makes it easy for us to get attention because we know our own brand and our own voice so well. And then it makes it easy to attract talent because they know who we are and what we're about. And that's something I believe quite passionately. I also think it's something for uh, the educators who are also listening to this and thinking about their own schools and so forth. Take branding bloody seriously and it can, you know, it, it you know, you, you can use a brand for a school uh, for a chocolate bar, for a movement, for anything. Adam, as I'm sitting here listening to you and Adriano talk, it, it occurs to me that the importance of that notion of an organising idea around which everything is built is something that can be anathema within a school because so often in schools the things that should be explicit and the things that should be driving through the things about which we should be intentionally purposeful are implicit. How do we help people to make what is habitually implicit explicit. Yeah, just where you, you do it, don't you? So I'll give you an example. Um, my son has just changed schools and at his last school they had values and he said they never practised them. At his new school they've got the values written as Dr CC they're called and it's DRCC, the four values, and you can see them just writ big all over the school and they talk about them all the time. So how do you make the how do you make the ephemeral uh, explicit? You just you do it. You have rituals. You have signposts. Uh, you select heroes. You create symbols and signs. And so you do all of that stuff. You do all of that branding around the place. But then you get the idea of what the the school or institution or, or whatever it is. You get that really really tight as well and so it acts as an organizing thought so it can't just be something like we want to be better than everyone else or we want to be the best or you know it has to be something that's dichotomously different to everyone else or else it's just the question of it can't be different by degrees you have to be different or you're not so i love that notion of we would call it the theory of culture which is about how you create the artifacts and the, and the accoutrement that remind you every day um, of who you are and, and, and what it is that you do at a school for tomorrow, which is our front facing organization that we've got to help us take the research that we've been doing into all that sort of stuff about how you build character and how you embed values and, and how you build an excellent education, which in you know, with a, the dominant characteristic of an, an excellent education is that you are intentionally purposeful about the character that you're trying to build, that you're human centered about it, that you're technologically enriched and that your people are place and planet conscious at the end of the day there's this sort of that's the that's the space if you like that's the defining characteristics of of the ecosystem one of those pieces in there is creativity and it's something i think that in our field is not understood particularly well i think sometimes people will define creativity in a particular way without really getting it how would you help people 
to understand what we mean by creativity? <laughs> it's a big question. Uh, I think creativity is everything. So I think the vaccines used for, you know, the, the, the scientists the, 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 who created the vaccines who must have been incredibly creative by putting different things together to create the vaccines to help uh, deal with COVID. Um, right down to the other end, the people doing the advertising to advertise the vaccines were also doing something creative as well. I think one of the issues with creativity is when it gets stuck into the world of problem solving. I hate that. So I don't think creativity has got anything to do with solving problems or if it has, then I think you're just chasing efficiency. So if you're, go if you're going along and there's a problem, using creativity to solve that problem just gets you back to where you were. So I'd like to talk to people about applying creativity or creative solutions to things where there is no actual problem. And then you're going from neutral to maybe something a little bit more um, magical or wonderful or charming or something that engages the senses in, um, in some other way beyond just trying to solve a particular problem. But I haven't come up much better with um, as a definition of taking existing knowledge and then applying it in a new way. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I just think to be creative, you need a good memory and you need a really loose brain that can put all the different things you've remembered together in novel kind of ways. And I think that's what creativity is. Do you think it's too much to expect that there might be experiences such as awe and wonder within creativity? Of course not. Uh, you know, and no, I think, I think that's, you know, even your, even that ridiculous joke about the pineapple, you know, that, that just brings a smile to you. That's not creative. I know it's just, it was happening. No, no, I was about to say, there's there's nothing ridiculous about pineapple on a pizza. This is serious business. Here, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's like a little micro dose of wonder right there, you know. And that's much more interesting than listening to me rabbit on about fucking taking existing knowledge and applying it in new ways, you know. Um, so I think... Yes, yeah, but, and I, 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 sorry, just on that, I do think the whole, I think there is a problem at the moment with the, the rational world seems to be winning and we have all the information available at our fingertips and people try to information themselves out of things and I, and I do really worry about where that, where that leads us. So I do appreciate more and more when people take the effort to apply creativity even to this podcast, even to that introduction. It just makes the whole thing feel nicer. Well, thank you for that. I'm basically just filling a vacuum with nonsense as far as we can tell. But um, I think it's—I I think your definition of creativity, you might think it's, it's, not, it's not of itself novel, but that I think makes it accessible to people because I think what people are looking for is something genuinely gobsmackingly new uh, in and around that. And, you know, you, you sit there and you go, it's, it's really, really rare that there might be something new. But the whole of humanity iterates from what they know to something else by taking it and applying it and testing with it and tinkering with it, as you've said. And, and I, I love that idea of thinkers and tinkers. You know, that's it's um, Adriano would 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 talk about that as as, as team creators on steroids. And yeah, that's one, one one of our graduate outcomes. Within that, how do we create a culture within an organisation that authorises playfulness? A friend of mine who, um, back in the day when this person was at university, was a recreational intravenous drug user and was really out there. He, you know, he was just a really out there person. And then when they got married, they this, this friend of mine had a tuxedo and um, 
his wife walked down the aisle and we're all in this beautiful church. And the first words of his wedding speech was, everyone, don't underestimate the powers of tradition. And he said that because this wild, crazy guy kind of was then in this incredibly conservative, uh, traditional kind of marriage setup. And those words have really stayed with me. And if you are aware of the powers of tradition, then you are, then you can be, you can observe it, or I think almost for yourself, thinking, what here, you know, is, am I just doing, or is this environment just doing just because of the way it's always been done? And what bits can I buck or, or, or fuck with in some kind of way? And I think, I think being, trying to remove yourself from the situation a little bit and being aware of that, I think is a really important skill. And then I do think it's something about some people's personality who just like to challenge that convention and, and play with that and distort that. And they can do that feeling free and liberated and comfortable and not anxious about it. Whereas I think there are other people who just like the comforts of that and, and want to step into a pre-designed, orchestrated kind of environment. And I think, you know, obviously that's okay too. Is there an intentionality in the way in which you work? If there is. That, that, would... that gives permission to, to playing in uncertainty. Yeah, if there is, I was born with it. I've always wanted to fuck with convention and, and push boundaries and antagonise and create new playful things and and it's just, it's in, you know, I think it's in my nature mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I can feel myself wanting to do that my entire life. I've just gotten more confident at it. Adam, um, Graham Brown Martin, who's one of the, one of our guests on the special series of, of this series of, of Game Changers, talks about the importance of, of, of a punk mentality uh, in and around what it is that he does. And when I asked him to, um, we, we recorded our series last night and it was one of the, one of the best conversations I've ever had, an awesome conversation. When I, but when I asked him to talk to me about what he thought punk was, eventually he, he got down to this notion, sometimes you've just got to cut, cut it off at the knees. You know, sometimes you've just got to arrest something in a particular way that allows you to, to, to think through to, to where we are. Why, why, does our, why does our society find this, this, this so difficult? Why, 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 you know, how do we enable people to find their way through to that? Well, some, I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody once said to me, if you took per, somebody from Elizabethan times and you said hello to them, that person would say, oh, hello, good sir, how are you? And they would be an incredibly flamboyant, demonstrative person. And over time, uh, through social conditioning, what have you, we've been chopping off and lobbing off the kind of the extremities of human behaviour. And so we have been kind of conditioning ourselves more and more and more to be more and more alike to each other. And I think social media, uh, political correctness, maybe a bit of weight culture, it's kind of maybe the price we pay for... Uh, this is going to sound awful, but for respecting everybody is just to be more cognizant of what you're saying, the impact it has on everybody else. And we're getting more and more careful and more and more constrained. So I kind of feel like, as I see it, humanity is getting more efficient, more constrained, 
if you look at, if you read any science, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question in a sec. Mm -hmm. If you look at any science fiction book written about the future, everybody's wearing spandex. Everybody's walking in unison. Everyone's on travelators going like that. Everyone's kind of got a dead and, dead and voice and they speak like this. And I think really sensitive people are painting a dystopian vision of a future that we're already starting to live, where we're becoming more and more like each other and more and more normalised and more and more intolerant of extreme difference. Mm. So therefore, coming back to that punk culture comment and chopping culture off at the knees, I think the people who still have that, who are either born like that or are so angry or so excited that they act like that, they're becoming rarer and maybe somewhere people are going, shit, that person's got something of value just because of who they are and they're able to knock down skittles that are feeling like they're more getting more and more permanent, if you know what I mean. So the, the value of being a punk and being able to push things down is becoming more important as we are becoming more and more homogenised in our thinking. How do, but how do then we, Adam, thank you for sharing, sharing your thoughts there. How do we then support the school leader who is the punk, who is in a system, uh, from, from, might, be a, might be a sector or the entire system, where, where compliance and conformity and comfort seem to be valued, their productivity measures, by the way, valued over the fostering of significance. You gave the example before of your son's experience from one school to the next, where one school might have had in a nice document the values, but he never felt it being lived or experienced. He goes into a new environment and it was intentional yeah. about the type of uh, learning environment that he's now encountering, one that lifts up those values yeah. and allows him to step into that. Uh, you know, and then that's the base. And then, of course, hopefully he can get into contributor agency and challenger agency on top of it. But how do we help leaders in, in, in an ultra-conservative space who seem to be paralysed in an old reality and, and don't want to move from that because the system continues to confine them to the box ticking? Well, firstly, I like your question and I like the connection between the punk mentality and the, the fact that at my son's new school there must have been somebody with enough punk in them and enough intentionality to make all of that stuff happen. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate that. The question of how do you foster that, um, I guess is, I don't know is the short answer. I've got no bloody idea. Um, but I will say one of the issues that creative agencies have is we like to employ people like that because those people, we send them in like cannon fodder into our clients and they have to react, they have to do that, right? And it's not a role you can necessarily play within big business because you'll just get shunted out of there. But so mm -hmm. as a consultant or as a creative agency person, we can send people in there and then they can do their thing and then kind of um, maybe get out. Um, so maybe, maybe that doesn't that role doesn't necessarily exist in the educator world. So in the educator world, maybe you're after a teacher with a passion who just is happens to have that kind of mentality and wants to change the world but they don't have the structure so that, or the processes to be able to do that you know what i really, so I really, really love about answer. this conversation adam is what's so refreshing about it is your preparedness to share a thought or a thinking and tinker with with the response to this question but you also have the courage to say well i don't know 
And this is the challenge, right? The challenge is for our leaders, particularly in schools, if a leader was to stand up there and, and was asked something and was, wasn't able to give a response, they would be chastised, just like our politicians are. How, how can we start shifting the way in which we view this role then of leaders? Because the leader at times is the expert, but sometimes that leader needs to step into the space of being the novice. Uh, the, 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 you're you're going to drift onto my favourite topic, and I'm going to bore you senseless. <laughs> but um, if I don't know something and I'm a leader, then shit, I must know a lot of other things. And, um, and I think that's what people think when I say I don't know. And I say I don't know a lot. And I think all it does is make people think, oh, this person is confident enough to say they don't know something, therefore they must know a whole lot of other things. I genuinely don't know, but <laughs> let's just pretend that I didn't say that. Um, then I think, you know, all of Brené Brown's work around vulnerability and all that kind of stuff. In marketing, there's a thing called the pratfall effect, which is um, if you um, show... Um, a blemish or if you show a, fr a frailty about something, then likability actually goes, increases even more. Mm -hmm. So if you're, say, a restaurant, you say, really sorry, got bad parking, or if all the reviews say I've got bad parking, people compensate for that and go, well, it's a popular restaurant, must have really good food, increases desirability to go there. So marketers who are brave enough to dial up their insecurities or dial up their weaknesses often get, get paid back for being more authentic but they're therefore also more popular. So um, in, in terms of a leadership... Is that a, is that a frailty or a, or a vulnerability? Uh, I, I, I use both words, okay. but I think I think it's... I, I'm not sure what difference is, but I'd say both. Okay. Um, but it's if you have a look at... Um, uh, and it also gets more attention because we have an inbuilt negativity bias. So as soon as somebody says, I don't know, or as soon as somebody swears, you know, we pay more attention to that and then... Then you, then you got someone's attention, then you can get the message across as well. So there's a whole lot of benefits to being self-deprecating, talking about yourself negatively, um, owning the fact that you don't own that you don't know stuff. But then I guess it's what you do with what you do with that once you've got somebody's attention and what you, once you've got the ear of somebody. And again, it comes and I, I don't know, but I just do want to come back to the whole how do you create the punk thing? Because where I yeah, was sure. going to say was we are pretty good at creating tools and processes, and so the answer is kind of. A little bit counter what you what you might expect me to say, but it's creating the right processes for the punk to flourish. So a school teacher who's getting judged on how well that school teacher uh, gets the results for the kids in that class, that might not be the right structure to encourage a punk kind of environment because what you're trying to do is change the culture of a whole school, and you might need a different system and process in order for the punk to kind of affect change rather than do that. So I'd come back to a kind of a systems design uh, rather than relying on the, the brilliance or, and passion of one person. Yeah, and I feel that, you know, part of, as I'm sitting here listening to you, my thinking also is part of it, the response from my end, understanding this industry is how can more school leaders give their staff the permission to step into their own agency because you won't just, you don't know what they're going what they're going to offer then and we don't know what we don't know and we don't, they don't even know but often they don't they don't give them the space to do that they just give them stuff to do anyway i'm going to yeah. i'm going to i'm going to move on from this kind of line of thinking you're also one of the founders of space a collective of unlike minds with a passion of making the world a better place through action so my question to you is this in relation to space 
Why does Australia need to gather diverse sets of people to challenge points of view and unlock new insights on old perspectives? Australia in particular needs to do it, maybe because of, um, I, I do think Australia's got this hideous thing going on with the tall poppy syndrome and um, ambition being a dirty word in this country. And so I do think Australia needs a place to be able to hero um, free, think, free thinkers and people who want to change the world and create supportive communities for that kind of thinking. I also like the idea of unlike minds and where um, another line we use is where ideas meet influence. And so where people who have the ideas meet people who've got the money, basically. Um, and I like the idea of, of clashing those types of things together that don't normally find a, a natural place to meet and creating that environment. And so, um, um, so then, yeah, then kind of interesting things or interesting weird partnerships and affiliations and, and projects can happen from that. And I guess, and why do we want to do all of this? It comes back to, you know, your silly pineapple joke at the, sorry, they're not silly. The joke was silly, but pineapples are not. Um, <laughs> so you're it, learning. It's a learning. Because we, we have a lot of pineapples that tune into this uh, podcast and we wouldn't want to, you know, upset them in any way. <laughs> It's just more colour in the world. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's just more colour. And um, I do worry about this homogenisation of culture and this intolerance of difference. I want to follow up on the notion of divergent thinking, I think, and, and, and divergency and, and, and perhaps even deviancy that, you know, that we've been following through all, all, all the way through this and, and the, the challenge of orthodoxy. Um, we have going on in the world at the moment a huge push towards, and I'm going to use words I don't normally use, as Adriana would know, diversity, equity and inclusion. How do we wrestle with um, the attempts going on in the world at the moment to broker a, a place of greater belonging for people who are at the margins or several standard deviations from the mean, or let's face it, just like you, you, me and everybody else, it's just that they're, they're practising their weirdness rather than suppressing it. How, do, how can we do that without succumbing to, to a new orthodoxy? Um, I'll tell you two quick little anecdotes. The first one, we invited Andrew Bolt uh, to space and he said something, he said, I asked him in person, he said, uh, something like, so I can be, be your right-wing kicking ball, how terribly droll, no thank you. And I thought, oh, God, he got it exactly right. He knew exactly why we were, why we were inviting him. And, um, and, uh, and so um, I was quite disappointed by that, but totally understood his perspective. Um, and then the other anecdote I wanted to give on that was Cameron Diaz's first ever film is called The Last Supper, and it's a great film. And in this film, a whole bunch of left-wing people um, invite a right-wing person for dinner and then they kill the right-wing person and feed the right-wing person to the tomatoes for their tomato garden. And then they start, they kill it, and then they get a, the less slightly less right-wing person, right -wing, and then they start, they run out of right-wing people. So they have to start killing the most right-wing of the left-wing people. Mm -hmm. And in the end, there's only two lefties trying to work out who's the most right-wing and then which one should die. And the whole concept of a narrative of this film is that the extremes are fighting, no matter what side they're on, they're fighting for your rights. Mm -hmm. 
and they're fighting for your rights to live in a colourful world with as broad and as much colour as possible. So I think the answer to your question, I'll take Cameron Diaz's advice here or the person maybe who wrote the, the film that she was in, and I'll say just if they agree with you or disagree with you, your world is richer for their extreme view and they are helping you and helping keep the playing field of possibility broad just purely by having a divergent perspective, whether you agree with it or not, you benefit from it. Okay, I want to follow up, and I'll and, and, and I'll, I'll I'll take you Cameron Diaz movie, um, uh, and then I'll raise you a Daniel Kaluuya movie. So you know, Get Out, which is um, uh, our producer Oliver put me on to to Get Out. I think it's I think I think it's a fa- fabulous movie. It's you know, it's it's essentially a satire on 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 liberal values in in the United States. The horror. That sits behind it is not that it's a horror movie. It's it's just how perceptive it is, because at the same time as a voice emerging, suddenly the suffocation of a particular voice by um, people who just know better and who pretend to care, but actually they just have even more self interest um, at heart. How do how do how do we how do we protect weird? So it depends who needs to protect it, but maybe starting off by revering it. Um, on my last, I went to Scotch College in Perth in Western Australia, and I like to tell this story and I like to bag them out as much as possible because on my last day of school, the headmaster said, Adam Ferrier, can you come up on stage, shut the guy up on stage? He put his arm around me and he said, everyone... This is, the, this is a good example of somebody whose parents have wasted their money sending their son to Scotch College. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> well, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> well, can, I just tell you, can I just tell you now, Alec O'Connell, who's the current head of Scotch oh. College, he would be appalled to hear that anecdote. He would be. <laughs> I finally got the right audience to tell that story. To. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It yeah. did happen some time ago. And then I had a look at my report card just last week and it said Adam should, should leave Scott College through the feeling of regret for missed opportunity um, was from the same chap. Um, so, um, so I think number one, and that's, I guess I guess I really should say, as you're, I'm glad you did jump in there. I've got good friends whose who's, kids are loving Scotch and it sounds like a very... Uh, it's, a very different, place. it's a very different place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm still angry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I reckon I reckon finding finding ways to revere the weirdo versus revering achievement um, and all the you know the Australians of a year and all, all all these kind of things that they're so often done for people who are achieving and uh, success as opposed to people who are standing out, being different, creating new, novel or interesting things. But again, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, a, very, it's a big question, isn't it? But I like the idea I, I, of revering I, I, them, though. I think there's yeah, something in that. Yeah, revering is a lovely term. I, I think it's, it's then about saying to, to the masses that um, everyone has intrinsic value. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I gave a talk once. And this is a true story. I gave a... Um, I gave a talk to a bunch of ad people and somebody emailed me afterwards and said, oh, Adam, 
it's obvious you're a really awkward guy, but you've managed to turn awkward into awesome. Can you can you tell us how you did that? And um, it was, you know, it was a lovely backhanded compliment. I, I think, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I you'd do. Be, you'd think... be really tempted to respond to that in a fairly direct and Anglo-Saxon language, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I um. I pride, you know, I, I also pride myself. Like, I love the fact that at school I was a complete misfit. I can't, and my mum used to also, also say I was blessed with no ambition, and I and I know what she means. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really happy that I'm relatively successful in my own little thing because I like the fact that I look like a bum and, and I still slur and, you know, and I, and I like the fact that I'm relatively successful following my own path because I think that's what you know kind of a little bit what we're talking about here I think so I'm going to I'm going to change the direction if I can thank you for indulging us in this sort of direction one of the things that we keep hearing about schools trying to make happen and some schools do this more successfully and others do this less successfully is bridging between school and the world of work and trying to build meaningful partnerships um, between places that employ people to do work and places that employ people to educate people to do work. Have you got um, exemplars or have you got, have you got anecdotes around how schools can build meaningful partnerships between organisations such as the ones you've been involved with and their own educational enterprise? I'll, I'll twist that question slightly just to um, say that um, I think our in, my industry fetishizes youth a, a lot and I think it does that because younger people tend to be cheaper. Um, and so we did an internship program at Thinkerbell called Thrive at 55 and it, you, just, you, know, you just had to be 55 years of age or older to apply for the internship. And that was I'm excited, a, Adriana, three years to go, mate. I'll so what, what about... What about people who are about to turn 50. Why don't you have one of those internships for me? <laughs> no, because you just, you just don't qualify, mate. Now shut up and let him talk. Um, <laughs> maybe 55 is the elixir for, or the magic number for midlife crisis. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, it, it's a, it's, I like the idea of um, flipping the normal pathways from education and work on its head a little bit and trying to mess with that, that, that idea a bit. I don't really... I don't know. I um, I think we employ for, I think most people, because the whole workforce is now so deconstructed and skills are so micro that everybody is, empl- many more people are employing now on attitude and you can learn the skills on the job easily in a, in a shorter period of time. You don't need to go to university for six years and for, for, for lots of different career paths these days. So you can learn. So you can learn on the job. So therefore, attitude is becoming increasingly important. So therefore, the best way to test somebody's attitude, I think, is by prior behaviours. And so maybe encouraging learning that allows people to build, build books, build projects, build examples, show their skills um, in various different ways, rather than just concentrating on what they learn in their head is probably pretty good. So maybe we could call them physical, you know, learning, physical intelligence. Oh, that's fucking PE, isn't it? But you know what I mean? Like like trying to take, um, trying to make what they're learning 
mm-hmm. tangible so you can see it. So putting it into a, into a real context. Yeah, basically, I, I want to. I want if I'm if you're a young person, I have to see that you're creative. You can't tell me you're creative. So therefore, I have to see some things that you've done that are creative. Mm-hmm. Um, which, means you, which means you have to do some stuff, doesn't it? You that, have to that's produce right. something. But it's that's a portfolio right. of, of, of ideas uh, that, and, and that right. demonstrates my character, that demonstrates my knowledge, it demonstrates my skills, my, my competency. It demonstrates yeah. every aspect of me instead of just one dimension. That's right. If I'm after somebody disciplined or conscientious, then I want to see a two-year project mapped out week by week over the last two years mm-hmm. that prove that conscientiousness. You can't just tell me you're going to be conscientious. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, sorry. And then the other thing I think, just coming back to this whole punk thing, right, the other thing I look for is what is an interesting story I can say about this person to my clients? So I, I spent a few years in the prison system. I still talk about that all the time because it's interesting. And people need, you need to know what's the interesting twist on this person that helps substantiate they were, they're intelligent or they're creative or they're whatever you want them to be. I'm going to um, just jump in here now, Adam, before Phil asks you a final question and, and wraps up this really intriguing conversation. And, and for mine, it's a conversation about how do we continue to, to celebrate the uniqueness of every individual within our learning communities and create structures and, and opportunities. Uh, you guys should give to an award. Allow them to, to celebrate that. You guys should give an award for the type for break. Uh, for a game-changing thinking, right? You, you know, just start it. Just start the recognition. Do it at the end of each series. Not to one of your guests, but just pick someone. So, so the Australian Education Awards, who's listening right now, um, we are going to be proposing a Game Changers uh, Award, and we want you to be serious about taking that on, and we'll create the criteria for it, not your criteria. Okay. That was just my little pitch to them because the Australian Education Awards, is, I think, closed last week. My, my uh, question to you because it would be reminiscent of me not to have an ad man on, on our show and not ask a question about narratives. We're living in, in, in a world and a time of swift technological advancement, demographic shifts, urban rapidization, um, shifts in global economic power, resource scarcity, you know, biosecurity, climate change, all these kind of mega forces that are reshaping society. And it's not going to slow down. We know that. How then can we engage the school leaders, the governments and the systems in education through a narrative that we now need a new social contract for schools and for society? That's too big a question. I, have, I, don't, I don't know. I could pontificate some words, but I don't know if a narrative's needed. I, or I feel like um, what I do know about psychology is that action changes attitude faster than attitude changes action. So what I would suggest is you just start doing stuff that's different now and start doing stuff that's world appropriate now. The more you do, the more attitudes will change. And so I would say fuck the narrative, just start doing interesting different things. That's as good a definition of a game changer as you're going to find. Last question for me, Adam, and it's actually from Bravo, who's the game changer, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. He just wants to know what type of dog Finnick is. (laughs) Finnick is a is an eight and a half grand bought at the peak of the COVID uh, labradoodle rush. Ah, well, there you go. I'm just going to leave it there, Adam. It's been an absolute um, it's been an absolute treat to have you on Game Changes today. Uh, we really appreciate 
your frankness, your sincerity, and your whimsy um, that you've provided for our listeners out there who are thinking about today's learning for tomorrow's world, who are thinking about um, trying to find a way forward to take that big step. I particularly love that last piece of advice, just get in there and do it. Uh, thank you. That was um, genuinely uh, a lovely, uh, fun chat. Thank you. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.